Today I want to complain a little bit about first grade and then we'll get into the Bible. How's that? First grade. When I was in first grade, my teacher was Mrs. Goldberg, who I thought was old as dirt when I was in first grade. Turns out she taught about 25 more years after I left, so kind of made me think my perspective of age was off. And I loved Mrs. Goldberg. She was a sweet lady. But for reading, I had to go see Mrs. Nita. Mrs. Nita was older than dirt. She only taught another 20 years after I left. Mrs. Nita was, um, she was from Jamaica, and her accent scared the dickens out of me. When she would get mad, I, I would shiver. And Mrs. Nita's class was always very well behaved. And I had a problem in first grade spelling a certain word, because. I would spell it B-E-C-U-S-E, because. And every time we'd have a spelling test, I'd spell it wrong. Every paper I wrote, I'd spell it wrong. And one day, Mrs. Nita said to me, I won't even attempt to speak like she did, I can't. But she said, Jonathan, you are a very smart young man, but if you can't learn to spell because you're not ever going to be able to go to college. And it scared me horribly. And she sent me off to, the, to my desk and told me how to write like a hundred times the word because. And I remember vividly, B-E-C-A-U-S-E, -E, over and over and over again. I have never misspelled the word because. You and I sometimes have spelling problems. We, we, forget, we forget letters. I spelled B-E-C-U-S-E. -E. I always left out the A. The title of today's sermon is, Don't Forget the T. Hopefully when I'm wrapping up, you'll understand what I'm talking about. If not, we'll just start over. This one should be a little shorter than usual. I left time in case we need to do it again. Good deal? Pay attention or I'll do it again, right? Today we're in John chapter 21. This is one of my favorite um, stories in the Bible. I, I say that a lot, but this is really, you know, one of the top tens. This is the story of when Jesus appears to seven of the disciples who are out fishing. Let me read it to you. It's 14 verses. Let's unpack it. Let's figure out where the T goes. After this, after what? Remember, Jesus has died. He's come back. He's appeared to the disciples. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing, they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out, got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. 
Now none of the disciples dared to ask, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I love that story. But to understand the story, you have to put it in context. What's going on here? Is it just as simple Peter decided to go fishing, they caught nothing, and then Jesus told them what to do, and they caught a bunch of fish? Yeah, that's the basis of the story. But if we miss the setting in the fuller context, we miss most of what's going on. After this, Jesus revealed himself by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. So, the Sea of Tiberias, it's the Sea of Galilee, synonymous. It's a Roman name and the, the Jewish name for the same area. You ever stop and ask, what are these guys doing by the Sea of Tiberias? Last they were locked up in a room. Jesus was appearing to them, remember? Came back eight days later. Thomas was finally with them. All of a sudden, they're by the Sea of Galilee. Why? Have you, have you ever thought about what's going on there? How they ended up here? I really never did until this week. And if you don't, if you don't understand it, you miss really what I believe is the primary gist of this whole text. If you go to Matthew 28, you're dealing with a parallel account of what's occurring. You know, Jesus is resurrected. He's appearing to the disciples. And in Matthew 28, verse 10, Jesus says to the disciples, after he appears to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So Jesus is telling the disciples to go to Galilee, but let's get a little more specific. Look at verse 16. The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So put this in its proper setting. After this, Jesus revealed himself to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee and revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, Cana, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two others were together. You know where they were? i got to believe they're in that mountain they were supposed to be in waiting for Jesus where he told them to go. So put them together in a mountain. How long are they there? A while. Waiting for Jesus. And waiting, and waiting, and waiting. Jesus hasn't shown up. Now, for the first time in three years, these guys are on their own. Jesus isn't with them, moment by moment. He's not guiding them, he's not teaching them, he's not providing for them. They're sitting in a mountain where Jesus told them to go and wait for him, right? Well, what would you do after a period of time when Jesus just didn't show up? Guys, what are we going to do with our lives? What's the deal? The, the Messiah died, he came back from the dead, but, but what do we do? They didn't know they were going to be the apostles, you know? What do we do? For three years we followed him. He taught us, he guided us, he provided for us, and now we're sitting in a mountain, and where is he? Well, Peter had a great idea. Peter said, I'm going fishing. And the disciples said, all right, we'll go with you. What you don't see there is much discussion about, should we go fishing? Shouldn't we wait for Jesus? Didn't he tell us to go here? Peter, the the leader of of the group, bold, audacious Peter, was saying, guys, we got to do something. We've we got to take control of the situation. I know Jesus said, go here, but, but 
But we got we to gotta act. We got to get food. We got to make money. We got to get back to work because life goes on. He'll catch up to us later. I, you know, I know he said go to the mountain, but he didn't understand. He must have gotten caught up with something. He didn't understand we'd be hungry and busy. We have to act. And then he'll catch up to us. Self-dependent. Peter was a highly self-dependent person, was he not? Jesus, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will die for you. Er, 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 er. Peter walking on water. Oh, bloop, 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 bloop. Peter knew that he could do all things through himself, right? But it never worked out so well. Peter, John 21, it's an epilogue. John's tying up loose ends here. Peter was a strong starter and a bad finisher. It ended with Peter denying Jesus. In the synoptics, we see that his last interaction before Jesus appeared was the eye contact after Peter denied Jesus for the third time. Jesus looked at him. Could you imagine how that would feel? To deny Christ three times and have him look right into your eye. We don't see interaction between Peter and Jesus directly after that. Next week we will. But Peter is kind of, kind of gone on a, a bad note. And now Jesus says, go to the mountain, wait for me. And Peter says, guys, we got things to do. I'm going fishing. All right, we'll go with you. And how did it work out? They caught nothing. Do you ever stop and think about why they caught nothing? Coincidence? Just a bad fishing day? Looking in the wrong spot? Wrong time? You ever think about why they caught nothing? Who's Jesus? 20 chapters. If this hasn't been driven home, you know, it says here in end of 20, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God. Well, if he's the Son of God, he's God in the flesh, who's in control of them there, fishes? Do you think for a minute, you know, Jesus taught in parables. Jesus also used real life situations. Do you think for a minute these guys are fishing and Jesus is like, where are they? I, I said go to the mountain. Hello? I said go to the mountain. Where did they go? Peter, Peter, come out, come out, wherever. You're like that creepy. Who's that guy in that Cape Fear movie? I can't play hide and seek with that. Come out, come out, wherever you are. Do you think Peter was running around Galilee? Have you seen my disciples? There were seven of them. They're supposed to be in a mountain. No. Peter knows what's good. Peter knows. Jesus knows what's going on. They get in the boat. It's professional fishermen. They go out, fishing time. Nothing. Jesus is sitting there going, oh man, i got to teach him this lesson. I love him, but these are some stubborn guys. Stinking Peter, come on already. They're fishing. They come back, and they have nothing. Not a coincidence, is it? I guarantee that those fish, there used to be a cartoon called Aquaman. You ever see Aquaman? He could communicate with the animals in the sea. You know, the dolphins would come up to Aquaman and be like, and they go and get sharks, and the sharks would come back. You know you saw this, right? And they would rescue. A, a ship was going down. And the whales would come in. Well, I guarantee however Jesus spoke, spoke to fish, he said, and the fish said, all right, we'll stay away from the boat, Lord. We'll stay away from the boat. And for that night, all the fish in the Sea of Galilee were just staying away from this fishing boat because Jesus was teaching a lesson to the disciples and to us. You know what that lesson is? If you want to be self-dependent, it's going to go really bad at some point. You will fail. 
you will have distance in your relationship from Christ, and you will struggle. Now, I'm not saying you can't catch fish on your own, and I'm not saying there's anything bad with going fishing. But it's bad to go fishing if you're supposed to be mountain climbing. And it's bad to be in a mountain if you're supposed to be going fishing. Our job isn't to provide for ourselves. Our job is to trust Jesus. These guys had all sorts of problems that they wanted to address. And they were real concerns. Where's Jesus? When's he coming? What are we going to do? How are we going to eat? Where are we going to make money? How are we going to buy clothes? What are we going to do with our families? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Let's go fishing! What they needed to do was slow down. I don't know. But he knows. You ever leave the mountain? You ever go fishing? What does it look like in our lives when we go fishing when we shouldn't go fishing? Jesus said, go to the mountain. They went until they freaked out, and then they went fishing. Jesus tells us to do something. We'll do it for a little bit, and then we look, oh boy. Oh boy. This ain't going to work out so well. This is going bad. Oh my gosh, let's go fishing. Jesus, Jesus will forgive us. Let's go fishing. Well, he'll forgive them. These guys are in a right relationship with him. But notice, when Jesus comes, where are they? They're out to sea in a boat. Where's Jesus? On the land. I guarantee he's driving home a point. Guys, if you don't listen to me, we're going to have some distance between us. We're not going to have intimacy of relationship. If you were in the mountain, and I come to the mountain, it's going to be a great time. But if I come to the mountain and you're not where I told you to be, we're going to have some distance between us. You're going to fail and you're going to struggle. Jesus also refers to these guys as children. You see that there? So the dawn comes, verse 5. Children, do you have any fish? You know what's going on with that word children? It's an intentional word used there. Paidon. It's a Greek word. It's a, it's a term of a lack of intimacy. It's kind of like a, hey kids. If you're walking down the street and you know the kids well, you'll say, Frank, Joe, Mary, and Bob, hey. But if they're just some generic kids you now have a relationship with, hey kids, get out of the way. Or hey kids, come over here. He's driving home a point. Hey kids, we have a lack of intimacy based off of a lack of obedience. Why do you think Jesus told him to go to the mountain? Let's freak them out a bit. Let's make them get hungry and hungry and hungrier and see if they'll stay. Even though they pass out from hunger, they can prove they love me by not moving. And then we can scare them real good and I can get them to do anything. I can make them into moldable clay for me. Is that what he's thinking? Or is he thinking, guys, here's what's best for you. Trust me. Trust me. You've seen all this stuff. All this stuff. We Three years together, guys. Just go to the mountain and wait. Trust me. Because I love you and I'll take perfect care of you. But when we depend on ourselves, things go bad. What does it look like in our lives? Where are you not doing what God calls you to do? Don't answer out loud. Think about it. Write write it down, because you might want to think about this later. I don't think you can do an adequate job in 30 seconds. Where are you not doing what God calls you to do? With the use of your time, talent, and treasure. And why? You can make all sorts of excuses. If you need help, I'll give you some excuses. But it all boils down to this. If we're not obeying Jesus fully in every area that he calls us to, in the exact way he calls us to, it means we don't believe and trust that he can care for us perfectly. And guess what that leads to? Failure, a lack of intimacy with Jesus, 
and a failure to receive the joy and abundant life that Christ wants us to have. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I got you, but I got to go fishing for the meantime, okay? He said, no, no. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. He's going to strengthen us, protect us, uphold us with his righteous hand. Father, give us this day our daily bread. Not a, God, if you're able, can you provide for us? If you don't, let us know. We'll do it ourselves. You see, Jesus time and time again has driven home the point that on your own, you can do nothing. But through me, you can do all things. Paul makes that clear to us. Remember they were uh, at the wedding feast. The wine ran out. Shazam! Remember they were out at the, the hillside. All these, the multitudes, had nothing to eat. Shazam! Remember that you have crippled and blind people and lame people. Jesus, boom! These are things people can't do. And then he says, I'm going to take care of you perfectly. Go to the mountain. Okay, but we got to go fishing. Where in your life are you going fishing? Where do you know what Jesus says to do, but you say, Jesus, look. Not with your words, but with your actions you say this. Jesus, look, it will not work out. If I stay here, it's going to go bad. You don't understand. It's 20, 2011 and the economy's trashed. Relationships are different. We're, we're, we're an e-commerce culture, man. Jesus, you don't get all this stuff how it works now. Times are different. we got to go fishing to make this work. Is that really the case? Have you tried it? How's it work out for you? We were talking last night briefly. Steve Jobs. I mean, that man didn't look like a failure during his life, did he? Made a stinking fortune. People know his name. He received acclaim. He even got iPads before they came out. And for free. And if his broke, he could just go pick up a new one, right? I mean, how cool is that? For a time, it might look good if you go fishing on your own. Steve Jobs today, Buddhist, self-declared Buddhist. If he could come back, give him two minutes with us, what's he going to say? I was a huge failure. Don't fail like me. What should we do? Trust Jesus, man. You don't know how real this is. He actually will take care of you. He actually does love you. If he says go sit in the mountain, even if the earth trembles and gives way, don't run. He's with you, and he knows what he's doing. That's what he would say. And folks, we know it. So when we sit in a mountain of self-dependency, don't tell God, I can't do it. Don't tell God, I'm too busy. Don't tell God, I can't afford it. Don't tell God, I don't have the ability. Don't. Just do. Because when you do, watch what happens. First, after this, Jesus, see that, revealed himself? You ever wonder why John says this twice? He revealed himself by the sea, and he revealed himself in this way. Jesus, remember Jesus at the tomb and Mary? Where's Jesus? Oh, it's the gardener. It ain't the gardener. Mary is Jesus. How does she not know? See, Jesus had a lookalike who, did, who tended to Mary's yard work. And it was confusing. It happened a couple times. You know, When the hedges would get trimmed a couple times, Jesus showed up, and she said, Hey, could you do the ones in the back? Oh, I'm sorry, Rabbi, I didn't recognize you. Right? After Jesus resurrected, there was something different about him that you couldn't recognize him unless he revealed himself to you. That hasn't changed. People today cannot recognize Christ unless he so chooses to reveal himself to them. Right? You can't really introduce people to Jesus. He has to make them aware. He often uses us in the process, but he has to reveal himself. 
So he's on the shore. These guys who spent years with him don't even recognize the man. And he calls that, hey, kids. Yeah? How'd it go? Nothing. Throw your nuts on the right side. I'm in the boat. Dude, we're fishermen. Do you think we fished left all night? Oh, if we tried to right, we would have caught some fish. Come on, man. Left, right. We knew what we were doing. We're casting the nets. There's nothing, and the sun's coming up. Please. What do these guys do? Cast. On the right. How's that work out? Caught nothing again, right? What'd they catch? But they didn't. Notice this. They caught so many fish, seven guys couldn't pull them in the boat. Right? A little later, Jesus tells him to pull it in. Peter went, hauled in the net ashore. Peter hauled it in himself, right? Full of 153 large fish. You ever notice seven guys couldn't pull it in, but all of a sudden Peter, all by himself, something happened. When you would fish, you would pull the nets to the shore and you start throwing out the little fish you weren't going to eat. Okay? The big fish stay. You have any idea how many fish were in that net before the 153 were left? There's a fish in the area called St. Peter's fish. It's like a two, three pound little fish. They fry them up whole and you just eat them. Peter wasn't a wimp. He's pulling about 300 pounds and change of fish. But the first catch wasn't 153. It was a whole lot more. Then they got the other stuff out to take the 153 large fish. Now that's pretty good fishing, no? One cast, you're done for the week. They come to shore. What's Jesus doing? Charcoal fire. Remember last time we saw a charcoal fire? Just think, er, 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 er. Remember Peter? When he was denying Jesus by the charcoal fire with, with a little servant girl? You think Jesus doesn't have a sense of humor? Wait, wait till next week. We'll talk more about the fire. Peter j- jumps in. He wasn't naked. He was wearing his undergarments. But he puts on his outer coat because he knows it's Jesus now. He's going to come respectfully to Jesus. I mean, this is God in the flesh. He jumps out of the boat swimming. Now, he left everybody to tend to these fish, busting on big, big net, bulging with fish. It wasn't negligence. It was, you know, to Mary and Martha? I guarantee you. You know, I remember Martha's like, Lord, would you tell Mary to do something? Well, I guarantee for a moment the other disciples were like, come on, Peter, we got to do this ourselves. Peter wasn't being negligent. Peter saw Jesus, and he ran to Jesus. Wouldn't you love to have that type of attitude? You just jump out of the boat. You leave the fish behind, care about nothing in the world, and you just run to Jesus to be with him. So Peter runs. He gets on shore, and you know he looked at that charcoal fire, and he's like, oh, come on, why? Why, Jesus, charcoal fire? But let's skip that for a week. The other guys come in. They get the fish. What's Jesus doing on shore? What's he been up to? Cooking fish. Who's Jesus? God in the flesh cooking fish. Did that sound a little bit off? God in the flesh cooking fish. Whose fish? The 156 or 153? No? You notice that? How many of the fish that he gave them in the catch did he use? Zero. They come to shore. He's cooking fish. Somehow they couldn't catch anything. He already got the fish and he's cooking them. And then he throws in the 153 large ones. They come in and he says, come and eat with me. Culturally, you've got to understand the context of eating with someone. It's not like today, let's go have lunch. It's a sign of an intimate relationship to be invited to eat with someone. If you go into an Arab country in this part of the world today, you wouldn't just walk up to a stranger and say, hey, let's go have lunch. They'd look at you like you're out of your mind. 
This is a sign of intimate fellowship. Jesus says, come and eat with me. And then what does he do? He serves them the food too. This is God in the flesh. These guys should be in the mountain. Shouldn't Jesus be yelling at them? You fools, I said stay in the mountain. No fish for you. No, he says, he reveals himself. He says, come, eat with me. I'll serve you the food. You ever stop and think about what happened to the 153 fish? Why? Why did Jesus give them 153 fish? Large fish. Now, I've, I've read some really interesting arguments. Why 153? Playing with the number 153. Can't do that. Faithful to the text. It's just a lot of fish. He gave them an abundant catch. It's not like these fish spoiled by the end of the day. These guys knew what to do with fish. They had a provision for a long, long time. They could sell it for money. They could eat it for food. They could salt and store it. They could smoke it. They, they could do all sorts of stuff. He just lovingly gave them an abundance so far beyond what they needed. He restored the relationship with them. He fed them, and they ate with him. Which works out better? Staying in the mountain or running to the sea? Obeying Jesus when he says cast the net, or trying to do it all on your own? Now, understand this. I want to drive this point home very clearly. Jesus earlier said, and the fish all went away from the boat, right? You read that in the, in the end of the Gospel of John in chapter 22, if you have that in there. It's Greek. The, the fish talk is only in Greek, so I'm sure a lot of you... He could have said to the fish, and they would have jumped in the boat, right? You understand, Jesus could have just had the fish come up to the boat, go up in the air, thump, 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 thump. he could even have them dead on the boat so they're not flopping around freaking the guys out. He could have done this. Why didn't he? Cast your nets. These poor seven guys are like, oh! You know, then, then Peter's got to sort through them, get the 153. Then they're going to have to clean these and treat these. And couldn't Jesus have, like, pickled the fish? How cool if, if pickled fish come pop, like cans popping out of the Sea of Galilee, bloom, 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 stack them up, and you're like, wow! Why didn't he do that? Serious. Obedience to God. God dependence is this. You know what Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says? You're saved by grace through faith and not by works, right? What's the last part? What's that verse 10? Well, I keep going. I may have missed that last part here. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared good works for us to walk in obedience. One of those good works? Cast your net. Pull them in. Salt them up. God dependence is not this. This is not how it works. Oh, we're in the mountain. We're hungry. Let's just sit here, hold the plate in front of us, and Jesus will put some food on it. We're going to go to sleep, and then we'll wake up, and then there's food. It doesn't work that way. Okay? It doesn't work that way like this. God I really want you to use me to bring lots of people to faith. I'm going to sit by my phone and you have them call. And I want them to ask all sorts of questions about Jesus. And I'm going to sit here and read all these books. So when they call, I'm going to know exactly what to say. And I'll even, you know what, God, how about the cell phone? And that way I can walk around and do stuff. Deal? And I'll get a cool plan where they can text. And I can talk unlimited hours. And we can Skype. And I can bring people to faith. But God, you bring them. I'm waiting. 
doesn't work that way, does it? Jesus says, go out and make disciples. Doesn't it? I read that correctly, I believe. So what are we supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to be doing? Going out and making disciples. When you wake up each day, do you take your primary job as to glorify God as you walk in obedience to Him, to go out and let Him use you to make disciples? Or is your primary focus on the day of catching some fish? Because you got things to do, and bills to pay, and deadlines to meet. As we go through, now, now, balance this correctly. I'm not saying you call your boss on Monday. I'm not coming in today. I'm making disciples. No, because you just walked outside of Scripture's teaching. You go to work with the intention to work for God. You don't go, you don't go crazy at work. You know, don't, go, don't go crazy Christian on them. Don't put up the placard signs and, and wear those cool shirts that I wear sometimes. You know, the Holy Spirit Home Depot shirt. Just tell everybody you'll be praying for them. And I love Jesus. Good to see you. I love Jesus. You should love him. Don't, don't go crazy with this, okay? But get bold with it. Be intentional with it. Why do you think God has you working where you work? You can be in your house. You can be in an office. You can be by yourself. You, you can be anywhere. God has you there for a reason. What's that reason? You don't always know, do you? But he's going to use you in the process if you walk in obedience. But too often we get concerned and we go fishing. You know those people? I've had several conversations over the past month with with other pastors and people that work in parachurch ministries. You don't know how good we got it here. Do you know... Almost all church-going Christians have about zero to two non-Christian friends. Anybody here have more than two non-Christian friends? Anybody here live on a street that's not populated entirely by Christian people? Anybody have friends or family members who aren't Christian that you interact with sometimes? We got it good. You know why? Because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We've been given a commandment and all we have to do is trust God. Don't manipulate this. Don't figure out how to do it. Let, let's do this the right way. You know, you know where we are today? We're in the locker room. This is a locker room. Before the big game. The big game starts, well, being at youth group is noon. It starts before noon. And we're going to go out onto the field. This is the locker room. This isn't the game. This is the locker room. It's a little bit of a pep talk I'm giving you. Hopefully God's speaking through me in it. When you leave here, it's game time. Game is on. We'll come back and have a post-game report next week. We'll look at film. We'll cut it down. We'll see how we did, and we'll try again next week. But we're in the locker room, and we should be getting suited up in the armor of God. Don't run fishing during the game. Get on the field during the game and depend on God. God, you equip me. God, you strengthen me. You send me out to do your will so that I can do crazy things like cast nets and get 153 large fish. How many here have seen dozens and dozens of people come to faith in Christ? How many people here have people walk up to you all the time and just say, you know, I don't know what it is about you, but dang, something's weird. What is going on with you? I'm not touching that, Diane. <laughs> but what we tend to do is we tend to analyze and manipulate and choose on our own what's going to work well. God doesn't care about the results we get. These guys weren't successful because they caught the fish. They were successful because they cast the net. Cast! Get out of the mountain. 
Here's, here's where we know what to do. Take some time this week and do this. Check your spelling. Everybody have a pen in your hand? Everybody have a pen? If you don't, well, you know what, we'll do this. We're, we'll deface the picture. Ready? This is how I misspell sometimes. Everybody read that? I'm a first grader can, I'm proud to say. What's that say? What's the title of the sermon? Let's not forget the T. I can't. But he can. That's the point Jesus was making to these guys. On your own, you can do nothing. But through he who gives us strength, we can do all things. For a moment, maybe a week, a year, ten years, or fifty years, it's going to look darn good if we try to do it on our own. You may get the palatial mountain in Palo Alto and the summer home at the beach and the yacht and the house in the Bahamas and the bank account may be bursting so the FDIC can't even cover you anymore. Your kids may look robust and healthy and sign pro football contracts. Your neighbors may love you and knock on your door. Can't we just hang out with you? You may publish a book. You may get on the TV and the world may applaud you. It could all happen on your own. But then one day, shazam, we meet Jesus face to face. And I don't think Jesus gets all impressed. Were you the CEO of that company? I don't think that's what he says. I think kings, queens, CEOs, people that the world idolizes, fall down on their face and shake and shiver if they're not in a right relationship with him because all of a sudden they realize, oh, I can't? I forgot the T? But then little old nobody comes walking in. Little old nobody knows who that is. Real insignificant person. No one knew his name. No one knew anything about him. He felt like a failure. He lived an average life. world never recognized him. And he walks up and Jesus sticks his arms out as wide as they go. And he just hugs him. And that man knew that he couldn't. But Jesus could. What we do with this life is of utmost importance. Of preparation for eternity and for those we come in contact with. Would I love to see 500 people sitting out here in front of me? Well, I don't know. If God brought them and their eyes were being opened and they were coming to faith, you bet. But this is the locker room. This is the locker room. People come to get equipped. People come to hear. People come to be prepared to go out because the game's out there. This isn't about fun and games. This is serious business. Jesus came to make us fishers of men. And the crazy thing is sometimes that fishing we don't do in a boat. We do in an office building. We do in a house. We do in the neighborhood. But it starts by walking in obedience, dropping the excuses, saying, I can't, and realizing that he can. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that you are so gracious and merciful. I thank you for the fact that despite Peter denying you three times, despite him letting you down, despite him struggling to trust you, you sat on the shore, you called him to you, you fed him, and you provided an abundance of fish to him and the other six guys with him that day. God, that's the life you call us to. You forgive us. We, we, don't, we don't impress you with how well we do it. You came to die on the cross for us because on our own we can't. And the lesson we slowly learn all through life is that we can apart from the Holy Spirit who you promise to us, who you give to us when we come to faith. God, would you work deliberately and gently in our lives so that we're not a stubborn, stiff-necked people that have to go through difficult times based off our, forget our forgetfulness to put the T in the Word, but that you would reveal that truth to us now. 
that you would help us walk in complete and utter confidence and trust in you. Even when it looks crazy, even though we might walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear nothing because we know who is with us. God, would you use us powerfully? Would you help us not be so focused on seeing the results, but focusing on the faithfulness to you? Oh God, I pray that you would allow us to see a plentiful harvest. I pray that you would bring many people to faith through us, that we would see family members and friends come to faith, that you would work in a mighty way, that you would bring a revival to our neighborhood. I pray, God, that you would fill the seats of our church with 153 new families of people whose eyes you have opened through us. And that, God, together we could rejoice and celebrate how wonderful that is, and we could be equipped to go out into the community and reach even more people. God, 11 guys started this whole thing. You started working through 11 guys. And then you met Paul on the road to Damascus. The rest is history. And God, the success wasn't found in how many they led to faith, but in how faithfully they followed your lead. I pray we would do the same thing, God. I pray that when you say go to the mountain, we go and wait. I pray that when you say get in the boat, we get in the boat. I pray that the Holy Spirit would minister and teach us, that the Holy Spirit, you would guide us in all wisdom. And that, God, we would have stories to tell. That we would glorify you. And on the day when, when we transition from this side of eternity to the other, when we walk up and see you in your resurrected body, that same body that Peter swam to, when we see you face to face, we'd have no regrets. We would see your smile, and we would smile right back at you as we run to you and enter into our eternal rest, where we can go fishing with you, and the fish might actually just jump in the boat. God, an eternity of sinless perfection. Why, why you've given that to us? We could chew on that forever. But the love that you have for us, help us understand that. Help us understand when you say go to the mountain. It's said in love, in perfect foreknowledge, that you know what you're doing and we can trust you. We thank you for that. We pray you would empower us to walk in trust of that. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.